All right, so first episode I asked you what our coven name would be. Now I want to know what your individual hag name would be. Dan? Uh, Granny what? I'm not that old. I'm like one of the younger people on the podcast. You are antisocial. I mean, ripping off your name from the first episode. True. You are antithetical. Sure. Whatever. What do you got? Since you're one of the oldest people on the podcast. We can call you Granny. You're not fucking antidepressant. I'll tell you that. (laughs) It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on the big bad evil guys of Dungeons & Dragons that we like to call Portfolios. I'm Dan, and with me today are Adam and Brad, and this episode is called Hags Set the Coven to 666 Degrees. You know, they're, you fucking butchered every... All right, just continue, Dan. How's it, how am I supposed to read it? Like, it's like it's English. 666 degrees. Just say 666 degrees? Uh, will you just get to the point? Sure. Well, we have previously covered Beholders, Illithids, the Elder Elementals, Celestials, High-Powered Constructs, and some of the biggest, nastiest monstrosities, like Brad, from both of the Forgotten Realms and the Magic the Gathering campaign settings. And of course, this is part two of our four-part conversation on hags. For all of these and more, including a buttload of humanoid mob monsters and a whole pile of fiends, you could jump over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you could check out our YouTube page and playlist on monsters that we built there. In this second episode about hags, the panel of Dungeon Masters is going to address the dark lady in the corner, the Night Hag. She's a little bit different from the other hags of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, but that doesn't mean that she's any less insidious. If anything, she's even worse. And by that, we mean better. You see, more than half of the It's Mimic podcast has faced off against one of these nasty old crones, and chances are good that if you've played Curse of Strahd or Dungeon of the Mad Mage, you have as well. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just excited to dive in. But before we jump into it, Brad, Adam, what's the difference between a bargain with a fey creature and a contract with a devil, a pact with a patron, and a deal with a hag. Well, I know my answer. Do you guys want to weigh in on this before? Well, what's your answer? Okay, so let's start with the deal with the devil because it's really straightforward. As yeah. they write it out, there is a contract. Even if it's a verbal contract, it's very specific. Read the fine print, but you should be protected by law. Yeah, get a when good it lawyer comes to that. So, uh, yeah, and make it a construct from Mechanus, right? If you're sure. going to get a lawyer. Yeah. A pact with the patron is very clearly them giving you power to accomplish things in the world, or you're siphoning power off of them, but that's less of a pact and more of you just stealing until you're big enough for them to swat you. Yeah. A bargain with a fake creature is usually just a whimsical need or or desperate want in that moment. I would like one of your teeth for a chance to teleport across this land. Yeah, however... They don't have any purpose for the teeth. There's no grand scheme. No. And three seconds ago, they, they weren't even it. thinking about it, right? Yeah. But a deal with a hag, there's a long game. Mm-hmm. It is probably going to blow up in your face. You will regret it. Even the thing you get will be soured and poisoned. Mm-hmm. And your soul is very much at risk. Yes. Especially when we start t- talking night hags. But yeah, no, you're you're right. I, a devil won't go outside of the bounds of their contract. A patron, I, there is no contract to go outside the bounds of. It is just like a nod in an agreement and you get this until I, I don't want to give it to you anymore. Yeah. Right? 
a bargain with a fey creature is more just like uh, it it's kind of meaningless but at the same time could it's just weird it is it is there for whimsy more than anything else but a deal with a hag there they will go out of their way to put things in the deal that they can work around okay all right let me put it to you like this when you're dealing with fey you're dealing with your practical joker friend yeah okay yeah. when you're dealing with the patron you are entry-level position Talking to the president of the company. Yes. Yes. When you're dealing with a devil, you just got a letter from the government about your taxes and you did it wrong. Okay. Yep. And when you're dealing with the hag, you Use are... car salesman. A loan shark. Like, yeah. you are not going to win this. Yeah. So, let's talk about these crosses of the Fae and the Fiend in D&D 5e. Let's get back into hags. From a general view, though, we're going to cover a couple other things. Namely, first, their names. Last time we learned that the base nature of hags as vile and evil and despicable creatures. Now, I think with all things horror, it's the sweet and innocent that amplify the vile and the evil. Hags are a great example of this with how they choose to name themselves. Upon birth, again, a hag procreates by eating a child and then a week later giving birth to a daughter. The mother gives that child a standard name. And then that child lives its life for the next 13 years. I shall name her Stephen. Sure. However, uh, Stevie is in... Oh, shit. Uh, Shit's Creek? Shit's Creek. The hotel owner's name is Stevie. I don't know why that... Sure. I'm, I'm like Stevie Nicks. That, uh, and did you say Rush for Stevie I, Nicks? I did say Rush. I don't know. What <laughs> Fucking shame. Yeah. Twitch. Are you I'm Canadian? Also, I've also had about seven beers in the last 24 hours. Yeah. So Fleetwood Mac. Anyways... No, no, no. Stevie Nicks. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac. Who's Mac? It's going to be one of them episodes, is it? <laughs> I don't even know where I am right now. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, when that child, Stephen, the female daughter that has lived up a life being bullied because they've been named Stephen. It's like a boy named Sue. Yeah. Uh, also good Canadian. Anyways, um, when that... Johnny Cash. Johnny is Cash a, is not, not Canadian. Canadian. Why did I think of Gordon Lightfoot? Fucking cut that. And, and no, don't. no, no, that is not getting. No, no, no. no, you're leaving that fucking Fleetwood Mac shit in for me. Then fuck you, Dan. <laughs> I went Gordon Lightfoot. I don't know why. It's, it's not even. We're not even touching halflings on this episode. For light feet. <laughs> so, when that child hits 13 years old and transforms into the vile creature that she truly is. She finally gets to pick her own name, because that's what we're talking about, names. Now, their naming convention is simple. It's a title, then their first name, and their last. And in Volos, there's a handy little chart that'll help should you want to create and name your own hag for your own campaign or a backstory. Simply, you roll a d12 three times and then pick the names that are associated. Easy. Some examples of the titles are Auntie, Cackling, Dread, Granny, Old, Rickety, Turtleback. You get the idea here. First names are Peggy, Olga, Matilda, Ursula, and of course, it could have always been Agatha all along. That's a reference. Finally, last names are Frogwort, Middenheap, Pigtooth, or Dave's personal favorite, Knucklebone. The second like his trout. Now, there are many different types of hags, and although they always love and keep the name they choose for themselves on their 13th birthday, their specific form can change. 
That's right, a green hag can, through ritual, weird magic, and force of will alone, become a night hag, or a sea hag if they want. The reasons for this are as nonsense, kooky duke bullshit as the rest of hag inspirations are, but this is an excellent way to make a random encounter at level 5 become a big bad evil guy at level 20. One note, the physicality and form of a hag does metamorphosize when this change occurs, so your players may not even recognize the newly minted Anis hag in front of them. Now, all this about these evil creatures, rejected largely by their fey origins, has hags standing at a bit of a crossroads. The chaos and otherworldliness, mixed with a heap of evil, leads people to debate whether hags are truly fey and are instead some type of fiend. I mean, a lot of the history of witches that we learned about last time, voodoo, curse, and charms in the real world includes a healthy slab of blasphemy in a very traditional sense. Old lore around witches were that they were the bride of the devil or had long since replaced their soul with the demon of a greater power. We see that hags in game also hate the gods and do everything they can to blaspheme the, the divine. In fact, in Candlekeep, we see that the best way to destroy the charm paintings that we learned about at the end of the last episode was to douse the cursed charm in the blood of a celestial being. This leads me to assume that the hag is more fiend because of the devilish connotations than fey. And the answer to this is, well, yes. Hags are fey, but some uh, but find a special home in the realm of the fiend. For me, I see this as a yes and situation. They are of both, not opposed. Most hags dance that line, but night hags in particular are more fiend than fey. I'm going to pause you for half a second there. Clearly, when you are becoming a different kind of hag, I would say environment has got to be a major fucking factor here. Oh, yes. Because night hags have gone down to the lower plains from the Feywild. Yep. Sea hags are, well, it's right in the name. And the ver hags are clearly your ice, right? Yep. Like they're up in the Arctic, mm -hmm. right? So I wonder if they go through this metamorphosis because of necessity. Mm. Where green hags can become an anise hag, but even dusk hags are Eberron only. Really? Yep. So there's very specific regions where you will find them. And I wonder, um, we haven't gotten into it yet, but maybe the anise hag does not live in the forest and swamp the way that the, the, the green hag does, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, maybe that's why they're changing. And you could be chasing a hag along an entire continent and having it change over and over and over again. I could see that argument being, being there. Um, the only thing that would make me doubt that location plays as big a role in this is the fact that um, if your anise hag goes and just starts living in the ocean and becomes a sea hag, she's dropping her CR by half and her general power level by half. Right, but now she's able to breathe underwater and can live there and escape to, to the next thing. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, I guess. Right, I, I, so... I, I guess I see and that, but. Stop trying to figure out what a hag wants and why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. <laughs> we they, discussed last episode too. The CR is not the dom dominant factor for a hag's power anyways. No. No, that that's true. I mean, we see that hags, especially we've just mentioned their motivations. Like, you're never going to understand them, but there is some sense to how they operate. They are very superstitious creatures. And being creatures who embrace the superstitions and fears of our old world, they still have to follow some rules. One example of this is the rule of three. Numerology is going to be huge to the hag, and the numbers three, seven, eight, and 13 are especially going to be powerful for them. 
7 and 13, because of the good and bad luck associations, and 3, because of the rule of threes. All things come in threes. Good things, bad things, and weird things that surround hags. Covens must have three members, or, if you're particularly cruel, a number of members divisible by three. You must say an incantation three times to properly cast a spell, and the best potions only have three ingredients. Some hags are so old that they claim ownership over the planar rule of three, but all hags follow it. Except occasionally sea hags. Except when occasionally they become, sea hags. When they become sea furies. According to Matt Mercer. According to Matt Mercer. Yeah. But even then, I would make that a coven of yeah. 7, 8, or 13. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I would play into the rest of the superstitions as well. We mentioned this in the last episode, but broken glass and black cats. Oh, broken and- mirrors? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, ladders to walk under. Ladders to walk under. A raven that crosses your path. Things like that. These are going to be superstitions that when I'm playing and running a hag, I'm focusing on. Now, outside of a coven, hags are very solitary creatures. We know this. They love their freedom and independence, but still hold to membership in the dark sisterhood of haganosity. Did you just come up with that? Yes. Boo. Finish your beer. Boo. I, I don't like it. I would consider myself hagnostic. Nice. Oh, I'm going to be haggard by the end of this episode. Do you have another one, Dan, or do we just move no, forward? No, I, okay. I don't. I'm not witty like that. I don't have that shit. <laughs> Hags will keep each other informed of world events or possible threats to the sisterhood. They communicate magically, physically if they must, or simply by raven. But the important thing to note is that they talk. Now, mind you, we've said that they don't actually like each other. They just recognize that they're related in some horrible, twisted way. Like being paired with someone you hate for a science project that you bury the hatred long enough to get an A. It's kind or of to record a situation. podcast. I was just thinking that. I, I wrote it and deleted it, and then wrote it again, thought about it for a while, went away, had a beer, came back, deleted it, wrote that. So We hate you, Dan. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> well aware. One of the consequences of this is, if you attack and kill a hag with your party, it is only a matter of time before the neighboring hags know all about it. And if the relationship with that hag was friendly, or how that translates to a hag, or your party did something to threaten the sisterhood in particular, they will band together into a coven to hunt you, your family, your friends, your pets, and everything you've ever loved. Then they will salt the earth and curse the land you walked on just out of spite. Or, if the other hag was a particularly loathsome hag, the other hags may reward you for your good deed. And remember, good deeds come in threes too. There is a social structure, however, with hags because of this communication, and it isn't based on type as much as it is age and power. All hags innately know who the most powerful of any given hag is and bow to the will of one such hag. They have titles too, with grandmothers being the most revered and aunties being the middle manager of sorts. Also, remember how hags procreate? A grandmother that brings a new hag into the coven grants that new hag a modicum of their status and respect by association. What's interesting to me is when you're reading the book, you keep seeing all the stuff about the sisterhood of hags and the the dark evil sorority of hags, but they're all daughters and mothers, right? There's, There's not a whole lot of sisterhood involved. You have the one that births two others that are identical versions of them. Yes. Who will then go off and do their own coven and birth more, like... There's clearly like a lineage thing with hags, which is interesting. Well, I, I want to talk about this real quick because a lot of hags will only give birth to one creature, like you said, 
right? And that'll kind of be how they live their life. They'll have one because they feel that urge to, and then they'll, they'll, they won't do it again. However, since some hags truly detest others more than the temptation of power could hold, a certain level of craftiness has occurred. Remember, the gestational period for a hag is a week. So you eat a baby and you deliver a baby quicker than you could get a package in the mail if you're old enough to remember the times before Prime and Amazon. Do you think that hags like mail packages? Considering uh, that they don't procreate. So this no, really. is exceedingly the, rare. The hags fuck. But still. <laughs> no. No. But, 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 but do they? <laughs> no. Who would? But but do they? But do no. they? Yes. Yeah. Like clearly. 100% they do. That just not for procreation purposes. No, it, it it's for oh, can you imagine a hag getting like traditionally pregnant and being like, "What the fuck? I'm on week three and I'm gonna die." Are they able to? I don't think they have a uterus. But the point is that hags fuck, and that's all that's yeah. important. Yeah. So one thing that hags have figured out, and this is exceedingly rare, is that one hag can beget multiple children in rapid succession to grow their own coven. And thus have sisters. Yeah, okay. Because of that, right? This does come at the cost of eating multiple children, though, so it could be a lot of work. Privilege, not cost. Uh, (laughs) Perspective. Now, here's a fun little thing that came in through the superstition look as well. Some hags seek to find twins, or even better, triplets, to consume. In fact, all hags believe that if they can kidnap, consume, and birth a group of triplets or twins, the offspring would have some unusual or great powers to them on top of the old just being the embodiment of corruption, evil, and malice type of power. Rule of threes, you think the triplets got to really be the, the big score. I, well, I, I, yeah, I, but see, that, there's a problem with that too because now the triplets now are a coven, mm. right? And so now you've got the one that's still on the outs and the coven has got these three little hell spawn, which are like, oh shit. But, but again... The hag's going to want to eat the triplets because of the power of three, right? Right, absolutely. And then spawn them and then leave them to all become hags on the 13th birthday together and then fuck off and go make another coven somewhere else. Yeah. Like, we'll, yeah. we'll stick around and watch the mayhem for 13 years. And is it an X-Men thing? Like, hey, puberty, bang. I have a feeling puberty plays into it. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's numerology, but it's also just like biology. Adolescence. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk about covens for a second. Hags detest being around others, but and will typically avoid it. However, should the cause be great enough, they will band together in a grouping called a coven. Simply being part of a coven grants the hag access to more power, often in the form of spellcasting. Simply being part of a coven grants the hag access to more power, often in the form of spellcasting, as well as a handful of close proximity bickering, infighting, and inconvenience, as the weird magic of one hag will often interfere with the weird magic of another. So obsessed with the rule of threes, a coven that loses a member will either dissolve immediately or, more likely, find another hag to fill the role. This will often call for a testing period as well, and I guarantee to you that this test is going to be as weird and twisted as their magic is. That said, a coven could, very rarely, be open to including a a particularly powerful evil spell slinger to their mix. The test for such an inclusion would be great and dangerous for that mortal spellcaster, but the other two members of the coven could be persuaded to see the use of an actual mortal on their side. Another note about covens is the hags don't have to be the same type of hag to be a part of a coven. You could have a green hag, a anise hag, and a sea hag all be part of the same coven. Cool. Okay. So let's talk about the mechanics of a coven. A coven is a grouping of strong-willed individuals, so they will all be vying for power over each other. 
but all consider themselves equal to the others. As well as for what a coven gets, well, each member gains spells, and a lot of them. Let's break this down. Should all members of the coven be within 30 feet of each other, they cast with the spell slots and ability of a 12th level wizard. This is collectively. They this share is six level spells? This is six level spells. Okay. They share these spell slots as well amongst them. So the three of them get to choose from this pool and use this pool of spell slots collectively. Okay. Okay. Now this pool of spell slots is four first level spells, three second, third, and fourth level spells, two fifths, and a single sixth. Int is the spell casting ability for the DCs, and the spells are, in the typical coven, are Identify, Ray of Sickness, Hold Person, Locate Object, Bestow Curse, Counterspell, Lightning Bolt, Phantasmal Killer, Polymorph, Contact Other Plane, Scrying, and my favorite, Eye Bite. Oof. There's a lot now, of just role-playing spells in there. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's also still a very dangerous list. Yes. Um, now, can they ritual cast? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, they can also craft an item called a hag eye. This is when you have like the fates with their eye that they pass around with each other. Now, the hag eye is often a real varnished eye, and it is usually kept with a minion or in a necklace or close by for safekeeping. Any hag in the coven can take an action to see what the hag eye sees as long as it's on the same plane of existence. Did they do this in... What was the Disney movie that did this? Hercules? Was it Hercules? They were passing an eye around yeah. the... Yeah. yeah. Um, my favorite Disney movie. That explains a lot. <laughs> Thank you. If destroyed, the Haggai does have AC and hit points. Each Hag in the coven takes 3d10 psychic damage and are all blind for 24 hours. There's no save. Now, Volos gives us three other kinds of covens. They are covens that come together for specific reasons and thus add some unique flavor to the coven. Same rules apply, but they offer a different spell list for each type of coven. A coven that is obsessed with death will get a spell list including such spells as Circle of Death, Raise Dead, Blight, and Revivify. <laughs> Hag with Revivify. <laughs> a coven that seeks control over nature will get such spells as Call Lightning, Insect Plague, Tree Stride, Moonbeam, which considering a lot of these guys are shapeshifters is interesting. <clears throat> and yeah, I don't want to detect other shapeshifts, though. Yeah, I mean, they also, uh, one of the minions that you can roll up is werewolves. Yeah. So, yeah. I just want to rewind to the Death Coven for a minute. Revivify is interesting, but it's not as powerful as you think. Because it's not like one of the hags dies and then they can bring them back. Because if one dies, the coven's broken, they don't get they the spells. Cast. Uh... But it's I see it as a really powerful role playing tool, right? Your party needs to Absolutely. bring somebody back. You we, don't we have, have any other way. With the hedge, yeah. yeah, yeah. The only way to get a party member back is to make a deal with a hag coven. Yeah, like I geez, mean, that's and, a big. They also have raised dead. And also, yeah. like, I'm bringing the troll back. I'm bringing the werewolf back. Sure. Like, mm -hmm. I want my minion. Yeah, and revivify is a fourth level spell. Sure, why not? I don't think so. I think it's third, isn't it? Yeah, third. So Revivify is a third level spell, and they get that monster amount of slots too. So they could do that multiple times during combat, mm -hmm. right? Anyways, finally, a coven that wishes to channel their inner fates and control the threads of prophecy will get such spells as True Seeing, Geish, Arcane Eye, Dispel Magic, Non-Detection, and Augury. Okay, That's this, very good. This is your role play. Fucking oh, yeah. Yeah. I, tons of ideas just from that. So if you are building a coven, you will typically, each member of that coven will go up by two CR. 
mm-hmm. to their base stat block CR, and they will get access to all of these spells as long as they are within 30 feet of each other. Now, for the death and nature and prophecy covens, I'd also want to reflavor the hag eye in some way, shape, or form, but Volos doesn't do that. So that would be just a homebrew mechanic. Okay, so really quickly, the death one is a shriveled up, dried out eyeball. The nature one is going to be... A ball of wood. No, oh, no, they've got these uh, these things called gas spores, right? They're these fungi that look like beholders in the mist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And then, obviously, the prophecy one is just a blind eye. Yep, I like it. But do their powers change? Of the power of the eye? The power of the eye. Like, do the death ones, instead of being able to see through it, give them an ability to do, like, a ray attack? Can um, you plant the hag eye for the nature to corrupt a large section of land or to cause blight in an area? Can you use the prophecy one to scry or to observe something really far away? I think the prophecy one allows you to see the future to a certain degree. Okay. I'd say that the death one uh, would probably just have the death gaze ability that the sea hag has. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. And the nature one, I'm trying to think what what eyeball nature shit is out there in D&D. There isn't much. No, not eyeball. I would go fungus with it. Oh, oh. Oh, I was going to say Medusa. Turn to stone. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm sure. on board with that. So moving on to Night Hags. Night Hags themselves are obsessed with the corruption of good to evil, gallant to cowardice, honor to shame. This is where they revel in the corruption of mortal individuals. Night Hags were once fey, but banished to Hades where they became fiends. However, they have since spread through the lower planes, Shadowfell and Material Plane, since this exile. Physically, they have dark blue or purple skin with white pale eyes and curved horns. They're medium, stout, and hardy looking with hunched forms and long, strong arms tipped with vicious black claws. The thing about them is that they are masters of dreams and plane hopping. Night Hag's favorite method of corruption is by invading the dreams of her victim. If you listen to the first Hag's episode, you heard that a lot of the traditional real world Examples of hags had them sitting on the chest and pulling the breath out. This is where we see this in D&D 5e, because a night hag will straddle the sleeping form of her target. Creatures with truing will be able to see her in her ethereal form doing this. Go on. And then they will fill their target's dreams with doubt, sadness, fear, and paranoia, hoping to cause the target to perform heinous acts and ruin their own lives when they awake. She does this process nightly until the creature dies. However, should she become successful in her psychic attack, she can trap the corrupted soul in her soul bag, which is one of two very rare items any given night hag will carry at all times. The soul bag can hold one corrupted or evil soul at a time and is crafted over seven days with a sacrifice whose flesh is used to create the bag. The second item is a heart stone that allows the hag to become ethereal at will and also cure any disease. Now these objects are cherished possessions And to steal one from a hag will send her vengeful ire laser focused on you. Now, they are CR5 or CR7 if they're part of a coven. They carry a strong leathery hide of skin that grants them 17 AC and a monstrous pile of hit points for a creature of their CR, which is 15 D8 plus 45. All of their abilities are huge, but like other hags, they have an unusually high strength. They're masters of deception, insight, perception, and stealth and carry a slew of resistances including cold, fire, and slashing, piercing, bludgeoning from non-magical, non-silvered weapons. 
they are straight up immune to all charms and similar effects, and they also have advantage on all saves versus spells and magical effects. They can see twice as far as your elf can in the dark, and they speak four languages, common, abyssal, infernal, and primordial. They are innate spellcasters, being able to cast magic missile and detect magic at will, while also being able to plane shift themselves twice a day, cast Ray of Enfeeblement twice a day, or sleep twice a day. Okay, I got a problem. Sure. Can they upcast magic missile? Because it's, it's not by spell slots, right? It's how many times a day. Honestly, it's at will. They just get to do it whenever. Right, but they don't have what spell level? slots to upcast. Which means that no. This is a base level, base level one magic We're going to see this more and more with 5th edition moving forward. Yeah. They've announced where you're not going to be able to upcast spells as monsters because they're moving away from the spell slots idea. It's weird that covens get them, but night hags don't. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Now, for actions, she can attack with her claws for a plus 7 to hit and a 2d8 plus 4 damage. This is typical. Or she could pull the hag card and change shape. Now, unlike some hags, this is no illusion at all, but is instead a polymorph-like effect, and she can change her size, becoming small or medium, but it must be female. She can also enter or leave the ethereal plane as an action, which requires the heartstone, or, once a day, do her nightmare haunting. Now, the nightmare haunting is that base ability of the night hag that I mentioned. A sleeping creature not protected with a protection from good or evil spell or a magic circle is assailed by nightmarish visions in their sleep. If these visions last for more than an hour, the creature doesn't get the benefits of the rest, which, I mean, exhaustion levels start taking hold here too. And they also lose 1d10 off their HP max. If the effect reduces the creature to zero max hit points or exhaustion hits bad, the creature dies. And if it is corrupted or evil now, the creature's soul will enter the soul bag to be transported back to Hades and sold. What's interesting is that it doesn't say that in the rules with the exhaustion. It's only if the max hit points drop, which means they're not targeting anybody over level like four, right? With with this hit, because yeah. they'll run out of exhaustion before they run out of hit points. Yeah, which means that they don't get that soul. So once your party hits level six, I'm like. They're targeting the wizard, right? Yeah. But once the wizard hits level 11, they're targeting the sidekick. And once the sidekick hits level 11, they're targeting the NPC, the barkeep. That's yeah. it. Right? I mean, Lehman's time, but Tiny Hut's also going to keep these guys out, right? No, they're plane hoppers, man. They could cast plane shift on themselves. They could get in. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I guess can. so. Yeah. They could get in and be ethereal while doing it. So there is one other way to defeat the HP drain and that is by straight up reversing it but you have to use a greater restoration or similar spell. Also if you kill the hag and have lost a big chunk of hit points you don't get them back. You need to cast greater restoration or a similar spell on you to get those hit points back. And by similar spell it is when they say that in in the source material what they mean is Wish. same no same level or higher that also restores hit points or not hit points, not, some sort of condition effect. Yeah. yeah. Right. So heal is going to work and shit like that. But lay on hands won't. Right. That may restore some shit, but it's not an equal enough level. Yeah. Right. So you have to kind of hit both of those requirements for that spell to matter. Okay, guys, let's grab regeneration would work. Regeneration would work. Yeah, I would say so. Let's grab some dice and uh, I want to ask some questions about night hags. I got a four. I got an 11. And a six for me. 
So you're going first, Adam. You're going first, Adam. Adam, let's have some environmental or social encounter opportunities with a night hag. Well, first of all, you should never know that you're dealing with a night hag. The night hag should target you. You you should have one player with three levels of exhaustion, everyone freaking out. Yeah. Before they figure it out. Right. And if I can be perfectly honest, I'm targeting the barbarian. And the reason I'm targeting the barbarian is simply because they're going to be able to rage so that max hit points isn't going to cripple the party as much, right? Oh, so as a kindness to the party, you would target the barbarian. Well, yes. Well, yes because, and no. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, look, it's CR5. If I'm playing with one of these things, it's a level 5 party, which means they don't have a fuck ton of options. If I wipe out the only spellcaster or the only healer and then get into a blow-for-blow blow fight with a hag and a minion versus the party. The party's in for a rough fucking time. Mm-hmm. However, that Barbarian's Rage is still going to be just as effective with all of its attacks, and the healer will still be able to keep it up as long as they possibly can, and that Barbarian is going to be able to mitigate some of the damage coming at it. So I'm focusing on the Barbarian, if not the Barbarian, the Druid, because the Wild Shape hit points is going to boost them. If not them, maybe maybe I'll target the Wizard for the Mage Armor boost or shield. Like, I'm not out to kill a player. Yeah. Except when I'm out to kill a player. And at that <laughs> point, I'm definitely taking out the Bard. Because I want the Bard to realize that all of his sad, his sad, sad, sad wet dreams have resulted in this. And he needs to tone that down a little bit in sure. future role playing. Sure. I actually... I'm was next. not next. No, you are not. So, Bradley? <laughs> I, I'm with Adam on the, yeah, you shouldn't see them coming. I was kind of looking at the same thing with the Night Hags in the fact that your party's just going to keep waking up and one of the people is just not getting a good night's sleep every night. Uh, we talked a little about how they mess with the dreams. So somebody's probably going to be having bad, waking up every morning exhausted, having bad dreams. You, oh, no, you know what you do? You roll a D4 to see who you're targeting. Uh, uh, like to hit the whole party right so all of the parties like why did i get a level of exhaustion and then three days later why did i get a level of exhaustion yeah, right and, nothing so, changed. and so you could actually plague them with this for a while yes right yeah yeah absolutely i i i am a firm believer that these guys will screw over a spellcaster far more than a martial player I mean, exhaustion takes its hit on a martial player, too, when it comes to making your attacks. And... Yeah, sure, you're right. But a, yeah, a spellcaster who doesn't get to sleep doesn't get their doesn't spells Doesn't get back. their spells, it's true. And also... Typically one, has less hit points. Yeah. 1d10 hurts more against Absolutely. your d6 hit points. Oh, for but, sure. But a d10 against a fighter still hurts. Yeah, you got the armor to, to yeah. counteract that. Well, this, this is the thing. These things are CR'd for a straight punch-for-punch slugfest. These guys are not playing in a punch-for-punch slugfest, right? These guys are playing to win a fight. Yes. And and they will wear you down before it ever gets to combat. By the time you're fighting one of these, you're already way under-prepared. For me, as a low-level party, the reason why you would encounter and, and become part of a... Like, be put on the radar of a night hag is for this heartstone. Yeah. This heartstone item is so beautiful because it doesn't require attunement and it doesn't lose its power when it's away from the hag. Right. Right? So you've got a character who's diseased that you can't cure, right? Even like hand wave lay on hands that it's not going to be able to cure a super magical disease or something. And you're looking for an item? Well, you know that night hags have this thing and you know that there's one nearby, right? Go and get a heartstone. 
I really like the idea of the soul bag too, except that your character's got to be evil. It has to be an evil soul that you're trying to... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't hit the same, right? I, I, I actually don't like that. I would just like, if it kills, it gets the soul. I feel the same way. It reminds me of, you know, a night hag is going to team up with a succubus, who's also from the lower planes and... Also from Hades specifically, I think, right? I'm not so sure about that. They're strongly tied to grads. Oh, yeah. Right. Fair so, um, however, their whole thing is about invading dreams and seducing and corrupting you to evil. Yeah. Yep. So I think the two of them go hand in hand. And because the Night Hag is ethereal and has the changed shape, the succubus slash incubus can go back and forth between genders, let alone just like a visage, right? You could fuck with the Night Hag. Or with the, like with the party with the Night Hag. For example, if the succubus and the night hag take the same form, <laughs> you can totally mess with the party. But, oh, we totally know that this person is the night hag. And then you see them both together. My only push against that is that hags are typically solitary. And I don't see them working with They've a... got minions. They absolutely would want. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. They and, and I would agree with you for the average hag. But a night, night hag, hag yeah. is, is going to lean on this fiendish side. And, and realize just how fucking beautiful that partnership could be to create chaos and, like, destroy people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, that's, a, that's a really, really good duo. I, I'm, I'm going to team them up if I'm going to. Cool. What do you have for battles with a night hag? Uh, you don't. You, they just, they don't fight. They no. just don't. They can, but with no multi-attack at CR5 doing 2d8 plus 4 slashing hard stop. That's or a it magic missile. Yeah, or <laughs> magic missile and run, right? But magic missile is when you run. Yeah, like, absolutely. You are there to, or when you've got like half the party is down to, you know, seven hit points. You want to dish them out across the party. Yeah, just, or you got that one guy dead over there. And you just really well, want to make sure he stays dead. Well, and that's the wonderful thing. If it has not occurred to you before as a dungeon master, Magic Missile is your player killer. Because the moment that they hit zero hit points, a single casting of Magic Missile counts as three hits, which counts as three, three failed death saves. So they're done. It's just, it's over. The end. Hard stop. So I think that the Night Hag is not going to engage until they clearly have the upper hand. Yeah. So when it comes to combat, the answer is minions. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. it. I got nothing else for that. No. They're going to ethereal, get the fuck out, cast magic missile to cover their asses, and leave. Yeah, yeah. You, you touched on it there. That was the only thing I was going to add was the ethereal, right? They're going to make use of that so they can't be touched. And they are they're, they don't want to fight you face-to-face. -face. The, the way I would have a night hag fight, and this is going to get booze from the person across the table from me, but Boo! Uh, they Boo! work very Damn. specifically Boo! in Boo! dreams. Yes, so having a session that is a romp through a series of dreamscape battles sounds like something that would be incredibly interesting to me. No, I'm all for that. But you go to Eberron to get your inspiration for, for two reasons. One, they have a plane of dreams that is clearly listed. It's in the Exploring Eberron book, the okay. Keith Baker one. But you can find a lot of that info online from previous editions. But additionally, on top of that, they've got... These weird aberrations that will latch onto people and come back with you oh. when you wake up. And they're 
fucking nasty. So, yes. Yeah. You, yeah. You go fight a night hag in Dreamscape and fight her off and you win. You come back, you didn't win. Yeah. You, you, you have a major issue on your hand. Yeah. What... I was going to say, like, just with the fighting in the dreams, too, is I don't even then I don't think the hag herself is going to be there because she's going to be pulling stuff out of your past to mess with you. Yes, but it I mean, you don't win that fight with the night hag. No, it doesn't matter. You don't. You don't win a fight with a night hag. You just straight up don't. Even if you win in the dreams and stuff, you've just knocked her back and she wakes up in her hut going, ah, fuck, I got a migraine today. Try again tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I would have her take that 1d10 psychic damage that she would take if the eye is being the, destroyed. The 3d10? Yeah. Yeah, from the hag eye being destroyed when that explodes. Well, that's 1d10 per hag or 3d10? 3d10 stock. Oh, okay. But yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Give them some psychic, psychic damage. damage make them blind for 24 hours just to slow them down a little bit. And then in two days, after your party's got comfortable again, oh, we didn't get attacked last night. We must be good. No, bitches. No, no you did She's back now. Yeah. She had her day rest and... Okay, what about some a plot hook or a campaign idea following a night hag, Adam? Well, I love me some hags, but honestly, night hags for me in traditional fifth ed lore, we already have a lot to work with. But my favorite one that we haven't really seen a campaign based around is the fact that there was a night hag that's directly responsible for Asmodeus being the way that he is. There's a night hag that is directly responsible for Zeriel being the way that she is. Mm-hmm. Night hags are mucking about in the background, fucking people over. They There was a night hag, I believe, that was uh, involved in creating Lord Soth in Dragonlance. Jeez. Right? Like, the big bads out there usually have a night hag going, yeah, 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 but do this. Right? And so mm. even... Even your your witches that because there are a few of them that are just kind of littered about are easily reflavored to night hags. Yes, if sure. you want to up a battle, put the night hag stat block on top of a Baba Lasaga. Nope, Baba Lysaga from Sega. Curse of Strahd. No, from Curse of Strahd because she's not a hag, but she's clearly a hag. Yeah, like mm. she doesn't get any of the hag shit. But is clearly a hag and talks to hags and is like, very obviously that's what this is. Right. Right. And so anytime that you run into anything like that, that's the direction I'm heading. Brad, what about you? Uh, For me, I'm, again, leaning deep into the dreams and I'm actually going to tie it to a warlock who necessarily, either an NPC or if you have a player who's a warlock in the party, I want a night hag specifically picking on them, making them think that their patron is doing shit in their dreams. That's beautiful. That, well, that's what I want to do, and I'm going to use it to manipulate the party to go somewhere that they think that they're they think they're pleasing the 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 warlock's patron, but actually they're serving the will of the night. Just hag. like the warlock wakes up one day thinking he's been doing great work for his patron for the last week, <laughs> and then goes eldritch blast, and nothing happens, and the patron's like, "It's just taking away the power." Yeah, because just you're not listening to him anymore. You're done. Yeah, he's like, you're cut what? off. But I've been listening to everything you've at. Yeah. The like, other thing is you can do with that. The other thing that's really cool too is we don't really have a hag um, warlock patron. Oh, you could with this. Very well, easily. Well, but. it's not gonna take you much to reflavor the 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 Fae. No, the genie. You could oh, do yeah, Arch Fae. Yeah, genie. Yeah. But but Night Hag could be packed to the fiend as well. Yep. Yeah. Right. But did you guys forget that Van Richten's gave us Hexblood, which is a playable race now? It's your, it's the new lineage, so you can oh. actually start to fuck around with hags and that as well. Mm, cool. cool, 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 cool. So there's a lot of stuff to do with hags, and of all of the hags, I think the night hag is probably the most 
devious. If not the yes. strongest, they're the ones that are going to plan the long game. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, another quick question for you, though. Fiends, as a general rule, need to be killed permanently on their home plane. Yep. Yep. So... What's the... That's well, the it's, Honestly, well, I think it's it? the same thing with the Fae. Fae need Not to be, specifically in 5th edition. Unless Domains of Delight have said that, because I haven't looked into that yet. But not specifically in 5th edition. It's Celestials and Fiends hard stop. Okay. Well then, yes, you need to, you need to do, you need to go the extra mile. But then what is her plane? Are you killing her? Hades. Is it Hades? Hades. It's not going to be the Feywild? No, there's specifically, Night Hags are from Hades hard stop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ages and ages ago, they were banished from the Feywild. Right. Yeah. Before the Blood War kicked off. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was before that. Yeah. We're talking like eons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For me, one of the things I would love to focus with a Night Hag in a campaign level thing is a soul bag. Mm -hmm. Either your players come upon a soul bag and want to figure out whose soul is inside of it or must chase down a Night Hag to retrieve a soul bag, right? Um, Of a fallen king or a something, Right. right? Something of power. There is no limitation to how many soul bags a Night Hag can have it's There's just, just one a limitation. soul per bag. And it's one soul per bag. But you could have 10 right? bags. <laughs> and, and you could have 10 bags. And it just takes a person and seven days to make a new one. <laughs> yeah. That is how I do my campaign. Your guys show up with some sort of enchanted magical sword that you just have to plunge this into the night hag once. Someone stabbed them. You're level three. It's a night hag. You're going to die. Well, not everyone's making it. Here you go. And so you do it. You kill the night hag. That's great. But you're here to get the soul of the king back. There are 25 bags on the wall. None are labeled. Yep. Every one you <laughs> open releases a different big bad mm-hmm. in the D&D scheme because she has only collects evil souls. Yep. So open up this one. Oops. Balesable. Open up this one. <laughs> oops. It's a freaking green dragon. An ancient green dragon. Open up this one. Oops. A Sararak. Right? And you're just <laughs> accidentally <laughs> letting out all the big bads, and now you have your campaign. Night oh. Hag's name is Pandora, and she keeps all her soul bags in a box. Like, fuck, why not? That is a <laughs> load of fun. That's amazing. Hey, everyone, it's Dan. And Adam. And we want to remind everybody all about the different ways you can listen to this podcast. As we say in every episode, we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but there are other apps too. Podbean is obviously one of them because it's the site we use to host the podcast, but there's also Amazon Music slash Audible and Google Podcasts. And iHeartRadio, Podchaser, Player FM, and Stitcher. Podcast Addict and Deezer and Overcast. Pocket Cast, CastBox, Listen Notes. Podbay, Chartable, Cast. Castro. Uh, Castro? Yep. As in? As, as in Castro for all your high fidelity needs. Is that an actual thing? Uh, apparently, and it's part of the package we signed up for, and it seems that it's an Apple Podcasts affiliate, so we're going to be nice about it. Dan. Good, good lord. Anyway, you can listen to every episode on any one of these probably non-communist podcasts. Please apps. don't phrase it like that. Yes, comrade. Oh, for fuck's sake. Or you and your glorious party of D&D players can check us out on YouTube where we have everything broken down into playlists. We've also started adding time codes to the show notes of our newest episodes to help you hop around and find the topics you're looking for, because some of us don't know when to shut up. And of course, our latest episodes are available at itsamimic.com. Da. 
Now, we're going to be a little selfish and ask everyone out there to take a second and leave a positive review for us on whichever podcast app you're using. Likes and comments are great, but these review metrics really help smaller podcasts like us connect with other podcasts and listeners in the community. Take to the fields, comrades. Support the proletariat and the world full of capitalist big dogs. Seriously, any help and or effort you guys could throw our way is appreciated. We love you guys, and we want to keep providing the best content we can. Content of the highest marks. Get it, Dan? Marks? Get communism? Marks? <sighs> so, spoiler warning for Curse of Strahd moving forward. In fact, you should probably just skip everything until the next section, which you can check the show notes for the time codes, because I'm going to spoil a major mid-level part of Curse of Strahd here. Okay. In five, four, three, two, one. All right, moving forward. In Curse of Strahd, there is a windmill called Old Bone Grinder. Three women live in it and make delicious pastries called Dream Pastries. They look and taste like mincemeat, the pastries, not the women. But they're made of a special powder that makes anyone who eats it fall into a trance that fills them with the blissful feeling of ecstasy for four to eight hours. If you want to shrug off the effects, you need to make a DC-16 constitution saving throw. If you don't, then, well, you're incapacitated, you drop to a speed of zero feet, and end up in a happy little stupor. Now, you can be shaken out of the trance, and taking damage will pull you out of it immediately, but the dreams are just oh so nice. There's nothing wrong with the dreams. They're a happy place with no evil, full of joyous characters and places, and vivid and believable pleasures. And when you finally return to yourself, you just want to go back. Oh, so badly. So very, very badly. As you've probably put together by now, the three women that live there are actually a coven of three night hags named Morgantha, Bella Sunbane, and Ophalia Wormwiggle. <laughs> when I thought that they were making pasties, my worm wiggled a little too. If you haven't put it together yet, you might when you realize that they're at least not normal. When they come upon someone who can't pay them, they accept payment in the form of young children instead. Womp womp. These children get stuffed in a sack, <laughs> tied to a cart, and driven back to Old Bone Grinder, where the night hags strip the flesh from them, eat every wet and wriggling morsel, and then set aside the bones. For what, you might ask? Why, grinding up into powder, just like the name of the windmill says. And that powder is very special, you see. After all, it's the secret ingredient in some delicious pastries that look and taste like mincemeat, only cost one gold piece, and make anyone who eats it fall into a trance that fills them with a with a blissful feeling of ecstasy for four to eight hours. Rough. Yeah, not nice. So the hags are afraid of Strahd and show him the necessary respect. But they don't particularly have any allegiances to him. In fact, if you can get a one-up on them, you can actually get information from these hags about him. You would be particularly persuasive too if you kill one of them and break the coven. Hmm. This will force Morgantha to behave, at least, until she can kidnap another child and eat them so she can spew forth another horrible daughter from her festering loins. Gross. Careful, though, if you want to fight them. They have all sorts of tricks in Old Bone Grinder, including tea that acts as disease-giving poisons, the ability to summon minor demons, and the opportunity to torture captured children mid-combat. That last one doesn't matter so much in combat, but they still can do it. It just... Makes the kids cry. So, get the hags out of there. Don't fight them on their home turf. 
If you do manage to defeat the hags and rescue the children, then I hope you're up for babysitter duty because the seven-year-old boy and the five-year-old girl that were getting ready for dinner are too afraid to go back to their parents who sold them to hags in the first place. So now you have two crying, traumatized, terrified children in your Curse of Strahd campaign. Yikes. There's nothing good that comes from winning or losing this battle. Which is so very hag. So very, very hag. All right, guys. Well, let's roll. And for all of you DMs running Curse of Strahd, let's figure out some encounters with these guys. I got a four again. I have rolled a four on this dice, I think, like seven times in a row. I'm comfortable with it. Yeah, I'm okay with that. That's on brand. That's a little higher than your average, though, Dan. Yeah, it's about three higher. Unless he's DMing you, then it's all 20s. (laughs) Hey, I occasionally roll an 18 and a 19, too. So Um, I got a 16. I'm going first. What do you got? Um... Just social. What are you doing with these guys? Okay, so the first time you run into Morgantha, you can actually bump into her in a village selling the pastries. If you follow her long enough, she will kidnap the seven-year-old boy in front of you. Okay. And then you can try to rescue him and stop her, but she won't fight to the death. And there's actually mechanics for you to uh, ask her questions to get info about Strahd from her so that she will get let go. Do you know Strahd's the big bad evil guy by this time? Oh, clearly. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is not super early in the book. It's early, but it's not super early. So. Okay. The, she really doesn't like Strahd. They don't like Strahd. So they can be weird allies in this. Weird child-eating allies. Yeah. But that's what's in the book. My own personal inspiration for that is session zero. Know your players. Make sure you got the right audience mm-hmm. here. But um, give your dwarf a child addiction. Sorry, what? What? The, what? From, from the dream pastries. That oh, you get addicted oh, to it and you need more of these dreams. So you played a dwarf in Curse of Strahd. Are you trying to say something? It's funny. I was not the one that ate the freaking pastries. So what happened was I managed to, I was a cleric. I managed to, um, we cast silence. That was my big, like, if you silence a hag, a, like a coven of hags, they're really just going to scratch you. Yeah. That's, that's what they got. So yeah. I then hid behind the barbarian and the ranger and the monk. And just went, actually, I think at that point we had a fighter and a wizard too. So like we were a big party and I was just casting silence and healing people up and rescuing children, right? Like I did not really engage because we overpowered them relatively quickly. Night hags without the ability to cast spells. Yeah, fair enough. Um, What about you, Brad? Social encounter. Yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on it, but if you can picture the party walking up just before the consumption of these children... Most parties are going to... Or halfway through. That's or, fun, too. I like I like ahead of time because now you have a chance... You hit like ahead at a time, so like you, they eat one head and then... Oh, another no. Head no, 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 no. Oh. It's cute because the kids get cute little names like crutches and shit afterwards. <laughs> oh, God. No, I was picturing... So basically, oh boy. Your, your players are going to want to try and negotiate for the safety of these... Release of these children... I certainly fucking hope so, by the way. Yeah, I mean... I've been part of the party that's like, ah, fuck the kids. <laughs> like, well, pardon? That, that, that's your Friday group, though. They just do not give a shit about helping people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I The people I remember. play with, and me, if I was a player, would 100% be trying oh, to... Yeah. I, 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 it's also important, I think, for social encounter to make sure that the children can talk and beg. Yeah. Yes. Like, a crying Please baby is bad lives. enough, but hearing the, the three-year-old begging... Pull on some heartstrings. Yeah. You're going night hangs. It's going to work on me. Go big, right? Like, yeah. do this right. Make it horrifying. Give people yeah. nightmares. 
Yeah, like have absolutely have like the ambient track with just the the Cries. kids screaming and crying in the background. It's just oh, so great. For me, the thing that I um really really love about them is not necessarily the social encounter with the hags themselves but the social encounters with those affected by the hags those who are either addicted to the pies or have sold their children or have had to give their children up or are currently getting drained and they are like so tired yeah all of the time but i just want another pastry yeah Mm. right like i and like you don't get any rest from the that four to eight hours of ecstasy right like oh you're just, no you you're not getting a long rest you're not getting a trance if you're an elf you are not getting sleep i depending on my table too i'm going to really amp up the inappropriate ecstasy and bliss from this to be an opium den or oh a yes brothel. Brothel. no this yeah. this is this is this is an opioid opioid crisis in the gloomy shadow fell yeah. demi plane yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah, you and hey, that's the other thing here. You kill those hags, you have got a village of addicts mm-hmm. you yeah, got to deal with now. Yeah, because yeah. they're all going to be craving child bones. Ugh. Let's 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 talk about battle like the battle tactics, Adam. Like like I said, casting silence, taking away the ability to cast spells is huge when it comes to uh, dealing with night hags specifically. But I mean, they don't have anything ranged. No, no. Except they've got magic, magic missile, missile, and when they run. They're going to hit with Magic Missile, but look, our monk managed to keep pace. Our ranger did more than enough damage. Our wizard was doing it. You know, spirit, spiritual weapons, spirit guardians are, are up for a cleric. These hags are kind of a bitch to deal with. Like, like they go down like a bitch. Like, mm-hmm. they fold quick. Mm-hmm. They're like... Even with Ethereal. The, yeah, they're like an Edmonton Oilers player, right? Like, Ooh. just just a weak pansy of a... Just, I mean, they're doing pretty great right now, so. Yeah? Yeah. Are they? The hags or the... (laughs) Both. Brad? Yeah, combat, again, is not the main draw for this coven and for Nighthaze. You fucking like hockey. I don't like hockey. (laughs) But he does like team and fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Nighthaze, we... (laughs) It's kind of fucking distracting, isn't it, Brad? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to do a thing, Brad? I'm sorry, Brad. I'm not distracted. I'm just waiting for an opening. That's That's what she says. Yeah, there we go. Uh, We talked about night hags. They're not built for combat. Not that they're completely useless, but they're meant to hit and run. They're meant to mess with you mentally and drain you to the point by by the time you're fighting them, it's too late. And this coven is the same thing. If you can catch them while you're at full strength, you should be able to mop the floor with them. However, should you not be able to, and they mess with you long enough, if they can drain you of any power, then you're going to have a hard time. So, One of the things that I skimmed past, by the way, is that if they knock on a barrel three times, a dretch pops out, and they can have up to nine dretches at a time. Jesus. Wait, aren't dretches demons? Yeah. Yeah. They're like CR1 demons. Yeah. Right? Like, they're low. They're low. Maybe CR half, even. Like, they're low down there. However. They add up. Get nine of that them. That adds up. I, I, you're, it's just. It's a level five, level seven encounter, right? Like, that's going to tip the balance if Absolutely. it goes long enough. And remember, you've got children crying upstairs in the windmill. Like, you, you can split the party on this yeah. and drag this out a bit. So. Yeah. The thing I wanted to mention is, should you grow to gain their attention and they deem you a threat, they're still 
night hags. They may have this, you know, main day job of stealing children, grinding them up, and feeding them back to the populace. They still want your soul. But they still want your soul, and they still want to corrupt you. And there's three of them, and they are a coven. So if you are not immediately taking care of them, they are haunting your dreams, and they yep. are messing with you. Absolutely. Full stop. So, especially once they deem you a threat. Right? Especially you're, if they deem you a threat. New faces in town, you're not addicted to their goods yet. Right, so if, if you're part of that party that goes the seduce strawed route instead of the defeat strawed uh, route... Dear Pepperina. Dear Pepperina, these guys are now your big bad evil guys, mm-hmm. right? And Strahd is your just big bad daddy. Mm, bad so, e- dear Pepperina. Dear Pepperina. <laughs> Let's talk about plot hooks for these guys. Uh, Adam, what do you got? Outside of the published material, what would you do for uh, an additional plot hook with these guys? All right. So, the very first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to look for my small sized party member. Halfling, gnome, we're going to kidnap. Not, not, it's not a child, but yeah, close enough. Rude. Right. And I'm not going to send the hags to do it. I'm going to send a venom troll. Or maybe one of the Soros Sworn. Whatever the level 7 one is. Which I believe is the Lost. Which you guys ran up against in the campaign recently. That's the one yeah. with all the, the... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. That'll be creepy and gross enough to have to deal with the stealing of the party member. But... I love the idea of three trolls rolling up on a party, like Venom trolls. Like, this is an issue. See, at level five, level seven, this is a problem. They're not going for the kill. They just put a bag over the halfling and off they go, right? One of them dies, two more escape. You chase them. They get out of sight for whatever reason. And then it's a wonderful moment when you hear a whole lot of voices outside as the halfling. You get up and leave the room. You come back and there's a whole bunch of voices. And this old lady... Pulls open the bag and says, are you okay? I just found you sitting here on the on the side of the road. Quick, come into my windmill. I will give you some food. And I'm sure your friends are on the way. That's absolutely fine. Would you like some tea and pastries? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. If your players don't know Curse of Strahd yet. Or just hags. Yeah. <laughs> then, then this is fantastic. They set up this whole thing to fool you into willingly drinking their poisonous tea and eating child bones. I got a question. It's mincemeat pastries. Mm-hmm. What's the meat? Yucky. It's 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 child flesh. Child flesh. Okay. I don't want to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> Brad, what do you got for a plot hook? Alright, so again picturing the hags. I'm picturing them coming up again in a nicer form to the party, welcoming them to town, saying, yes, we have a bit of a drug problem here in town. I wonder if you can help us out. We want to find the source of where all this is. We're keeping everybody alive with these pastries. This, yeah. is, this, is, the, this is like the the uh, church group, like the the grandmothers that are all part of that little like group of either spinsters or... or uh, like they're just nice old ladies who are nice, trying to take like care a group of the of town. Nice thing. You know, we we've been talking with with the elders of the town yeah, and everything. We're and, trying to help and, these people yeah. and you know feed them, clothe them, take care of them. And your party's going to walk into seeing these people under the effects of these of these spells and everything else. Oh my god, they run a soup kitchen, but it's pastries <laughs> 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 and tea, pastries and tea. Yeah, god. basically that's where I would go with it. Cool. For me, I want to see them with one more child in their presence. Now, this child is just as terrified, just as scared, 12 years old, getting close to her birthday. And the hags have kept her locked up in a room. She's been hearing the screams of everybody 
um, getting murdered and flayed for weeks. And she just wants out. And your party does their thing. They rescue this child. They take her to the town. They let her rest in the temple nearby where they can for sure gain some rest and some recuperation. And then everyone in the temple dies as she hits her birthday, turns into a hag, and eviscerates everyone in their sleep. I had an icky. I had an icky thought, Dan, and you're not going to like it. Oh, no. So how do hags procreate? They eat a child. child. Okay, well, hold on. They eat them for a week. Hold on. How do they make their pastries with bones of children? Yes. How do they get the bones? They eat a child. So for every child they steal, they actually get two children. The one that they eat and get the bones out of, and then because they just ate a child, they birth one seven days later and get to eat again the newborn infant because they don't want more than three in the coven. And then they use those bones to make the sweetest pastries. Eating their own offspring. Adam? Yes? I've asked you on the podcast before not to do math. Yeah, because it never ends well. It does not. This this is. But then this they, is why. But then they eat the newborn. In these, there's like a when you fight these these hags, they should be different degrees of pregnant. I agree. Hmm. I a hundred percent agree. So from, from, from one to seven horrifying. days, because yeah. the max is seven days. That's yeah. that's absolutely horrifying. But I agree. Gross. Still, yikes. No, That's what I said. I got found, I found an icky. I did math. Well, okay. No, okay. You. So here's my question. What, where, where, so what's the diminishing returns? No, they just get a new, they get a new infant. It's just only seven days, right? So they got to eat other children the other six days of the week. You can't get double pregnant, right? So I guess like, that's yeah. true. Yeah. But I mean, the way that these things get pregnant, could you get double pregnant? So, so they they eat three meals a week so they can have triplets. They're just, they got this, this freaking baby farm in the, Fucking attic. Of there's just, there's just the one hag that's sitting back going, oh. There's your see, fucking plot hook. We need a cleric. It's time to give birth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. For more entertaining and possibly disturbing content, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. If you have any questions for upcoming mailbag episodes or any questions in general that you would like a response to, you can also email us at info at itsamimic.com. We look forward to getting your questions and featuring them on an upcoming mailbag episode. And now cooking tips with Brad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so now let's journey into Avernus and talk about Mad Maggie. Mad Maggie has found herself there in the searches for the deepest of misery. Well, in Avernus, she found a tapestry depicting the fall of Zeriel. And what could be more pleasurable to a night hag in search of fallen goodness than a fallen angel in Avernus? She continues to search through Avernus to find more information about Zeriel. She's also looking for any sort of artifacts or things that might give information and be worth the story. Yeah. Players will come into contact with Mad Maggie as they try to assist Lulu the Holyphant in recovering her memory. I'm siding with the hag on this one. <laughs> I know your love for Holyphants. So, given her ties to Zeriel, the, Lulu the Holyfont that is, Mad Maggie will gladly help in the retrieval of the memories as it provides more information on her search for the story of Zeriel. Mad Maggie has the ability to create a telepathic bond between the players and Lulu, which allows them to explore the memories trapped inside of her head. I want to be in the party where Adam has to travel through the mind, mind. of a Holyfant. Yes, there's a very good reason he has not played Descent into Avernus. You guys seen the Harley Quinn 
cartoon show. Yes. No. It's wonderful. There's one episode where they go into her mindscape and it's just they wreak havoc. Yep. I would I would literally be just slashing at the floor in the mind of a Holly fan. <laughs> You're an evil person. I don't want to go fucking pink elephants on parade hey, bullshit hey. all the way through my goddamn D&D. She's golden. She's not pink. I don't see color, Dan. So being involved in the blood war, Mad Maggie has surrounded herself with a gang, both for protection and for help in achieving her goals to find out more about Zeriel's fall from grace. Her gang is known as the Knucklebones Gang. Dave? Nope. Oh, okay. Not even touching that one. Dave, Dave does is. enough. <laughs> Uh, so some gang members of note are the two kenkus named Chucka and Klonk, who she refers to as the magpies. These kenkus are Mad Maggie's mechanics and operators for her infernal machines. So should I mention, so the, her soul bag, when she collects the souls, she uses those souls to actually fuel and drive yeah, her she, machines. She's already in an infernal plane, so exactly. she can convert the souls that she gains, which there's no shortage of evil souls No, here, easy to grasp. Um, into soul coins, which is what you need to run an infernal machine. Exactly. Which I is, like the idea of her not even having this conversion. She just has the soul bag sitting open on the back, like Doc Brown with the DeLorean in, in part two. Tossing souls in. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. just like just emptying the bag over a tube in the Absolutely. back. Absolutely. Get in there. Get in there. <laughs> Yeah. So these... Um... That's how you get wet knuckle bones, Dan. Gross. <laughs> anyway, so these Kenkus are the ones who maintain her infernal machines, keep them running, and drive them for her. There are some side quests to try and help them out. They've got some issues, but that's not relating to the hag herself, so we'll keep moving. There's also a fiendish flesh golem named Mickey in her service, a creature of her own creation. He has no goals of his own other than to serve the hag. Nice. That's... Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> wrong Mickey. Wrong Mickey. Okay. That said, he does have a bone devil embedded in his foot. And or a shard of a bone devil. Or a shard of a bone devil. Yeah. So should you remove it, he will be very grateful. Descent into Avernus is a stupid, stupid book. I just want to point that out. There's a lot of just stupid things happening in it. It's it's Mad Max in hell. Yeah, the, but it's also bone devil shards in the foot of a, of a flesh, golem. flesh golem and... Holly fan. There's a lot of dumb that is happening here. My my favorite thing about the shard in Mickey's foot is because he's got a shard in his foot, it gives him pain. So he grunts and groans Growls. and jumps around. Yeah. Every and step he takes. Every step he takes, which every move he makes. Yeah. And when your party removes it, the red caps and mad caps that follow Mad Maggie around get upset with your party because now Mickey won't do the Mickey dance anymore. It's called the Mickey Dance. See, this pisses me off. You went to hell. Stop giving it whimsy. Yeah. Nobody who chose Descent into Avernus chose it for the whimsy. If they want whimsy, they'll do Wild Beyond the Witchlight. It just frustrates me. Go dark or don't, but don't sit there flickering the lights. It pisses me off. And gives you a seizure. Not only does she have the... Flesh Golem and the Magpies in her service. She, she also has two imps named Pins and Needles. There's you go. Some more Fuck for you, Adam. Off. They tend to take the forms of ra- ravens when they are around Mag- Mad-, Mad Maggie. And she treats them kindly and fairly so they have no reason to want to leave her service. The actress her spies and informants regarding the status of the Blood War. Devils are not the only creatures that the Hag has made deals with. She's also made a deal with an evil wizard to claim a flame skull named Barnabas. Barnabas himself was a powerful wizard in his own right, but after his death, his crypt was defiled and his skull was turned into a flame skull by the wizard that she has now claimed the skull from. Cool. 
Lastly, Mad Maggie has surrounded herself with Redcaps and Madcaps who have followed her from the Feywild, and she receives constant reinforcements of the Caps from a patron within the Feywild who is not actually named in the book. Cool. So let's grab dice and let's do uh, environmental or social encounter with Mad Maggie. I got a 10. You get to go first. Holy shit, I get to go first on a Hags episode. As a social or environmental encounter with Mad Maggie, she's the leader of a war band. She's the leader of a gang. You go to her for information. You go to her to get an infernal machine. There's a lot of things to go to her about. But remember, she not only wants information about Zeriel, she has a bunch of information yep. about Zeriel. And if you are in Avernus and you want to kind of know what's going on, you should be seeing Mad Maggie first to get some information, right? Yeah. And yeah, there might be a little deal about it and might make your life hell because she's still a night hag. Yes. But... If you could do her a favor, maybe she'll do you a favor, right? So my my reminder for social encounters with Mad Maggie is remember that she has information about Zeriel that doesn't involve traipsing about in a Holy Fan's brainscape to get. That said, she is also your gateway to the Holy Fan's brainscape. I mean, yes. Yeah, so on this, I'm going second. On that same tr- idea, she is not... I don't feel that she has the same traits of malice in the same way as a lot of night hags where she's going to do you dirty on a deal because she has something she actually really wants and you can do from her and basically what i've gathered even from reading the book is that she's not out to screw your party over in the way that normally you would expect a hag she still might if the opportunity arises oh, but she is a, she's still a hag she is night an hag. evil night hag she is out to screw your party yeah the thing is if your party gives her information that she views more valuable she just won't. Exactly. Right? Whereas most night hags, I feel like, even no matter how much value you provide to them, they don't care. They still want to screw you over. Yeah. Give me my thing. And but I'm here she is. She's already in Avernus as a night hag. She's got access to all the souls she wants, so she's not really worried about your party's souls. Yeah. It'd probably be too much work to, conver- uh, to convert them to evil first when she's got them readily available. Yeah, that's fair. Look, when it comes to Mad Maggie, there's only one thing that I want from her. Because I don't give a fuck about Zeriel's quest thing. Fallen Angel, what else do we need to know? Right? Like, there are a couple of plot points at this point. But I haven't read Descent into Avernus front to co- like front cover to back cover. But I assume that there's more than one way to get the clues that you need to get mm-hmm. to the end mm-hmm. of the... Great. Sure. So I want Infernal Machines. And the Infernal Machines rebuild is really cool. Mad Maggie sounds like someone who might be able to provide that for me. Yep. So, have a Hollyphant. I'll oh. trade you. <laughs> nice that's where i'm coming from look you're supposed to be a little tempted towards evil in the blood war and trips around avernus anyway you're burning soul coins yeah. you are literally destroying people's souls for transportation like not even a good reason just because yeah. you didn't want to walk so eh, we're there anyway give the flying elephant i have no problem with that <laughs> or, if you don't want Mad Maggie to get that information, you could just dip that little fucker into the river sticks and then be done with it. Well, that's where you got him from. No, no, no. Doesn't it? No, but I mean, like, dip him in. Let's let's see if we can wipe him clean. The Holophant? Yeah. Okay, what about combat for Mad Maggie? Um, she... Oh, you're it's going me. first. It's that's me first. Right. Um, We're just not used to this nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Mad Maggie is a night hag. She is not going to get in a fight. We've said it a couple times already. Yeah. However, the one, the picture of Mikey, where he's got like the, the, he's mainly like thin and gaunt with like a huge tentacle coming out of his mouth. The fighting Mikey and the two Kenku and all of the imps and 
like fighting her gang yes. sounds like a lot of fun, especially if you go Mad Max with it, right? Fight her gang on, on the road in in an infernal machine sure. that you got from her. What I'm trying to say is steal an infernal machine from Mad Maggie. And try and break it out of there while she and, chases and you down. And try to break it out of there while she chases you down. There you right? go. That's something fun to do, I guess. Something fun to do. And she's not part of a coven. So no, she's, she's not. She's not She's not hugely powerful. She, You get away from her. You'll get away from her. Yeah. Right? For now. For now. Yeah. I mean, you're making an enemy, but if you find a soul coin lying around, you, you could walk away with an infernal machine. Sure. Fair enough. She is also surrounded by the red caps and the mad caps. And a lot of them. Yeah. So be prepared, because they're going to do the fighting for her. Yes. And she seems to have a limitless supply from this unknown Feywild patron, so yeah. keep an eye out on that. You might wipe them out and come back later and find, oh, look, they're there and more. Yeah, it, it's weird that she has this unnamed Feywild patron that yes. like aids her. and, and like the... I feel like it's something they were going to write and then just didn't finish. Uh, no, they leave things purposely vague yeah, for you to fill out yourself. Fifth Ed does that all over the place just to give you... The opportunity in case you've got a Archfey Warlock patron sure. built into a backstory. Or... There's there's an answer to this. It's Igwilith. It's Tasha. Tasha's not Fey. She is a Feywild patron in uh, Witchlight. Are you certain she's a Feywild patron? Yes. Yes. It specifically says. It specifically so. says if you are uh, if you have a Feywild patron warlock in your campaign Which in you Wild Beyond to. the Witchlight, choose this character who spoilers turns out to be Tasha. Cool. So Adam, what about a battle tactic for you? I have zero freaking insight on this. She seems boring. Again, we're on... like Her two defining features are her gang and her machines. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Use one or the other. Or you, both. Yeah. That, like, I, you're not fighting her. By the time you fight her, you've blown up her machines. You fought off her gang and she's sitting there by herself. Right? Easy pickings. At, yeah. At which point she's just going to ethereal the fuck out. Yep. Yeah. So... Mad Maggie is going to be a consistent thorn in your side. I don't recommend pissing her off. Mm -hmm. Because that just gives a DM free reign to bring her back over and over and over. And she's got enough resources on the plane to make your life hell. Yeah. Yep. But that's it. So I wouldn't... I, I just... I probably wouldn't fight Mad Maggie. Yeah. I would just social encounter. Okay. Yep. What about a plot hook involving her? For me... I mean, we have mentioned this mysterious patron we have mentioned the fact that she is the only person that's able to bring a group of people into some sort of dreamscape i would love to see one where you in your journey through avernus come across a soul bag it is not mad maggie soul bag but you know it is a soul bag you go and you are trying to determine who this soul bag belongs to now understand i don't like the fact that soul bags have to be evil creatures i'd rather them just be bags that could hold souls so I want to see your party having to go to Mad Maggie to determine whose soul is inside of this soul bag. And I want it to be a big, like, heavy-hitting soul. Soul bag! No? No. Soul train? Yeah, I got you. No, you don't. You said soul train. Is it? No, it's soul no, man. soul man. Soul man. Come on, Brad. My turn. No, yeah, it's your turn. Come on. Let's... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough plot hooks in the book itself. Follow them. Like, she's a major plot point within yeah, she really Descent is. into Avernus. Yeah. It'll be hard to miss her. There's enough there. I don't feel like we need to flush her out any further. Look, it's, she wants info, which means I'm dicking around by the river sticks. I really, like, if she desperately is going to screw you guys over and she's got your back against the wall, dangle that holly font over the river sticks and say, you're going to let us go. Yeah. 
right? Like, even if you're bluffing, do that. Like, you have something she wants and you can easily erase it. Yep. Yeah. And then you don't care about it. I know. I don't. Not I I do. Yeah, but. No, look, look. I, I don't care. I really don't. But that's another way that I would erase Mad Maggie from, from the campaign is toss her in the river sticks. You don't mm. have to fight her. You have to shove her. Would that have the same function it has on every everyone? Everyone! Everyone! <laughs> there are like Thanks, Gary. There are like six creatures in the entirety of the Forgotten Realms cosmos that can withstand the river sticks. Jeez. And she ain't one of them. Not by a damn sight. Not by 25 or so levels. So guys, let's grab the dice one more time. As we wrap up this episode, I want to know what kind of insight into night hags could you use for your homebrew campaigns? I got a 19. 16. Yours is cocked. Yours is cocked. All right, I'll re-roll it. Natural. Well deserved. Well deserved. There we go. If I need to run that horror campaign, I need to run that ever-present ethereal threat against the party i'm using a night hag that that is what they're there for and in my personal opinion if you have a homebrew campaign and do not have a liberal sprinkling of hags that you know about that you could pull on to throw against your party you're doing your party a misservice hags have that level of otherworldly creepiness um, especially night hags that really breathe a big breath of life into any homebrew campaign world. So use them, right? Playing on the fact, like we saw with the old bone grinder coven, where they are grinding up children and making them into like treats for a populace. Buddy, you could do so many creepy things with the, uh, with these guys and that's permission to do it. So do it. Be creepy, be weird. But have a session zero first. But have a session yes. zero first. Yes. So, okay, here, here's my fun thing. Here, I, I would run this as a little side quest. If I want to go to the Feywild, the Fey are kidnapping children. But the Fey are kidnapping children to protect them. Hmm. And they've been doing it for generations. Any child that spends more than a fortnight in this region of the map will go missing and appear 300 years later unchanged. They're still whatever age they were when they left. Because time moves differently there. The Fae keep interfering with the local night hag who's going after the children, but can't follow them into the Feywild. Oh. So the Fae are kidnapping kids, and you're sitting there going, oh, it's the evil Fae. And like, no, a couple of pixies and some sprites and stuff that are just like, come with us, we'll protect you. And they do. And that's it. And there's an enraged night hag sending you into the Feywild under the guise of an, of an elderly woman who just wants her daughter back. Huh. Mm-hmm. to go defeat the Fae and bring the children back home. And if you fight without talking to the Fae, you work for the Night Hag now. And also, it's 75 years later, you were there for a round and a half of combat. Yeah, so, yeah, that's all. Right? Like, that that's my big thing. The Night Hag is your quest giver, your patron, and not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Brad, what you got for us? All right, my biggest takeaway from this episode in Night Hags is, again, messing... I'm really focused on the dreams, the messing with people's dreams, changing what they're thinking, and kind of misguiding them as to where they think the dreams are coming from. And the ability to then sap the health and everything else, right? You're slowly weakening the party without them knowing why it's happening. Yeah. You can give false prophecies on this too. Oh, absolutely. The dreams just have to be dark and depressing. Yeah. Your orphanage is on fire back home. Mm -hmm. The farm has fallen to blight and rot and famine. 
you have to get back as quickly as possible. Or the big bad guy that your party is currently chasing is all... Your party is now dead at the hands of them. It doesn't have to be true, but it can be what your party sees. And now all of a sudden they're thinking, well, maybe we need more power first. Oh, I wouldn't make any of the dreams true. Oh, no. No, but absolutely I don't think, not. I don't think the hags have the ability. Well, they've got augury, but they don't... They don't have the ability really to grant No, they're them. just they, trying to. But they are patient and they are observant. And they'll know what you guys are trying to accomplish, so they'll at least pull on those strings. The chances that there is a hag sitting inside of a tavern just listening to conversation. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, just to get information so she knows what to pull on and to mess with in your dreams. I yeah. don't think they're in the tavern, though. They're in the marketplace. Selling cookies. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Selling pasties. So guys, any final thoughts before we wrap up the episode on Night Hags? I'm just thinking about pasties now and I'm very happy. Brad? I'm thinking about pastries now and I'm very happy. I'm thinking about pastrami right now and I'm really happy. That's a strange place to go with that, Dan. Anyways, that'll be all for part two of our discussion on hags. We've got a lot more ground to cover with hags the next time we circle back to this topic. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be sitting back to discuss how Dungeon Masters should handle expectations of players and managing power creep. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store with some very sexy pasties. Well, we sell stickers, but they could be pasties. We also rely on if word of mouth brave enough. <laughs> to, to, to get shit out to the community about the podcast. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and down at the old Bone Grinder, <laughs> as well as most other <laughs> podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Now, I don't want to get into the specifics of Baba Lysaga's movements in Curse of Strahd, but we clearly have to cover her. Again, more Curse of Strahd spoilers, so bail out from the episode here if you haven't played it or you're in the middle of it. But Baba Lysaga... She's an old witch who the other hags in the realm look up to. She used to be Strahd's mother's midwife until she formed an unhealthy obsession with Strahd as a boy. And then she got banned from Castle Ravenloft by Strahd's parents. But now they're dead, and not in small part because she prayed to an evil deity to kill Strahd's mother. And she thinks of herself as his true mother now. Strahd, however, is oblivious to this. And Baba Lysega hovers just outside his life because she can't bear the thought of a confrontation and possible rejection from her precious little vampy boy. Now, Lysega has some allies in Castle Ravenloft who are a coven of witches, and she relies on them for information, but that's as close as she'll get to Strahd. So that means that she's overprotective and prone to violence because she's a big fucking groupie. They never say the word hag. She doesn't get hag powers, but come on. I mean, come on. Yeah. For starters, she definitely feels like one because she has a moving hut, very similar to Baba Yaga's. Baba Lysega's, though, pulls itself up onto roots growing from a stump under the floorboards and walks around like a spider. If you want to defeat the hut, you need to take it on in combat, which is a pain in the ass because it's a CR-11 siege monster with a bunch of immunities, an anti-magic field inside, and a ton of hit points. 
So I just suggest finding the hidden gem inside that animates a thing and stealing it, but you'd better have a good dexterity saving throw because people have lost fingers trying to get that gem in the past. As for her own stats, she's also CR 11, but she's a spellcaster with a bunch of nasty spells, so she's an issue to fight. Blight, Cloud Kill, Finger of Death, and Power Word Stun are particularly troublesome. She can also use an action to change into a swarm of flies and is protected by a non-detection spell. She gets three attacks of the quarterstaff each turn, and she's also able to summon a swarm of insects once per long rest. Honestly, she's just a pain to deal with, but not impossible to kill if you can get her away from her hut. If you fight her while she's with her animated hut, you're probably not going to be able to take her on. After all, Curse of Strahd is only meant for player characters level 1 to 10, and this honorary hag sits well outside those parameters. I'll unmute it and he'll be like, No, Dan, for the last time, you can't lick my nipples. This is, this is part two of our fucking... <coughs> Whenever someone says buttload, I want to wonder how many of them they can fit in their butt. Oh, all of them. <laughs> fucking, I'm not even on the first fucking section. Enough to cover the surface of Uranus. Fucking goddamn it. No. No, that was a knucklehead trout. <laughs> yeah. There's no bone in that. It just, it's an well, invertebrate, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure Dave's a fan of the second knuckle bone, though. Flava beans? Flava beans? Fava beans. Fava beans? <laughs> They're not flavor beans. You flavor flavor beans. Flavor flavor. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot on the cutting room floor. All right, so we're going to step out into Avernus now and talk about Mad Maggie. When I first heard about Old Bone Grinder, I thought that is a great name for the back room of a strip club. Oh, Because they probably are old bones. Can we market stickers with tassels? I am now, yes, for graduation. The top of that cap. Tassels. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. What were you thinking, Dan? Nothing. <laughs> 